Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I am exhausted. Oh, really? Yeah, so we'll see how, we'll see how this podcast goes. It is 10.58 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, 10.30 on Thursday, I don't know what day is, June 11th. Um, I will be getting on a plane tomorrow. Uh, on the plane, I will edit this podcast, so it won't actually come out till Saturday. Um, and hopefully, uh, I will sound lucid. Uh, yeah. So you're tired because when you say 10:58, it's 10:58 Pacific as opposed to Taipei time, huh? Yes, exactly. And so I, I you know, I, I've been here this week, and WWC week in general. There's, it's useful to be awake at night. There tends to be, you know, various social opportunities, and. Uh, <laughs> So I, I did this new sleeping routine because I mean usually I candle jet like okay but you're always gonna be tired at night mm-hmm. but obviously that's problematic so I scheduled a nap time uh, in the afternoon and it worked well the only problem is uh, I would take a nap and then I'd be awake at night and I'd be awake till like three or four in the morning oh. but that's fine I would be writing my daily update uh, <laughs> which is thrilling sorry if there are any typos this week oh there's my coffee gurgling yes I'm gonna drink coffee at eleven at night. <laughs> um, but uh, the problem is, if you ever missed the nap, then you're just like totally just exhausted. And I, I missed my nap today. I, so I, I was wondering whether there was some implication of the reason you being tired or particularly exhausted is because you actually had to put up with me in person today. <laughs> yes, I did see you in person. Uh, but no, it's more like I'm a young infant and I missed my nap uh, and, and now I'm being fussy. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm glad to hear it wasn't all my fault, at least not this time around. Yes. Yeah, speaking of things uh, not being anyone's fault. Um, uh, Twitter, uh, big news today. Wow, I know Dick Costello is resigning. Yeah, I mean, um, resigning. Uh, everybody claims he he was not forced out. He's been talking about this change for a while. Uh, <laughs> all which seems odd, but what whatever. It, um, it was I, I don't know. There's it, it would be I'm I'm sure you're I'm going to make you mildly uncomfortable mentioning this, but it would be it would be difficult to uh, talk about this topic and not mention the fact that you wrote about something on exactly this topic about a month ago, suggesting that he should step down and presenting a pretty uh, lucid argument. I I definitely think, and we talked about it subsequently on the podcast. But it's crazy to think, crazy to think. Well. I, no, I, I don't think. No, for the record, no, 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 I don't no. think I had anything to do with me writing about it. Well, um, I, 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 won't, I won't. Yes, I, I like to, to apportion it all to one article, but it was. I'm, I'm sure it. it well, I don't know. Uh, you, you can be humble and say it was just you read the tea leaves, but I don't know. You presented a pretty compelling case. I thought. I, I think it was more reading the tea leaves. Like it is. It, it was just. I mean, the, my the 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 nut of my case was that. The current leadership had lost credibility with all relevant stakeholders. Mm. Um, obviously, developer credibility has been lost for a while. Uh, you know, I had concerns about internal credibility given the consistent executive turnover and what I saw as a lack of execution for the last several years. Mm. Although, it, you know, it has absolutely picked up the last couple months. But also, uh, the last straw was with Wall Street. You know, the 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 user numbers had been slowing. They'd gotten punished for it. They'd managed to convince Wall Street to, you know, don't pay too much attention to our active user numbers. Look at the total audience that we have and look at our monetization, which is going very well. Well, last quarter, the monetization suddenly stopped going very well, which, as I noted in the article, I thought was inevitable given the fact that the monetization, the user numbers were, right. were slowing down. And and what, and once that happened, like once the story that was being told uh, was borne out to not be happening, to not be true. It, it's just very hard to continue. And and I don't know, I, I, I'm i not sitting here, I didn't write that wanting, yeah. I, I have no, no. I mean, quite, I, I've talked, had a chance to talk to uh, Dick Costello a, a couple times and he's reached out to me once or twice about, you know, things that I've, that I've written. He's been very, very kind, uh, frankly. And so I, by no means, any sort of malice, it's just more a, it was analysis. Like, yeah. The company, the, something needs to change, and frankly, I, so I don't, I don't see any need to dwell on what did or didn't happen. Certainly, I think the Chris Saka letter was had a much bigger impact, uh, and by much bigger, I mean I'm like a zero and he's like a one hundred. When your biggest investor writes a eight thousand word screed about all the things that you should be doing, uh, that's a pretty, you know, even though he framed it as this is this is what I hope Twitter does, yeah. Um, 
there's only one way to interpret that, which is why hasn't Twitter done that yet? Um, and you know, it, it's it's pretty. It seems pretty clear to me. You can draw a line from that to this. Um, but who knows? I mean, Twitter has their story. That's fine. It doesn't matter. All that matters is kind of going forward. Yeah, which is the the next interesting question. Now, what happens? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think about my daily update, which I also still have to write tonight. That's gonna be one. It's gonna be a long night. Thus, the coffee. Um, and you know, it, it's it's a little. I don't want to say discouraging, but it, it just this kind of brings into focus just what a massive challenge the company's facing. Uh, you know. Changing the CEO is not going to fix kind of the, the fundamental challenges that Twitter faces. I think it was a necessary condition. Mm. Again, and it was a necessary condition because of that credibility issue. Like whatever Twitter needs to do, they're going to need time to do it. And I didn't see Wall Street in particular giving Twitter time uh, without a new CEO. Um, so that was kind of just a first order necessity. But now you kind of sit there and you look at it and you're like, oh, man. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is there's a billion people that, that have tried Twitter and have left it. And it's, it's really hard to get people to try you a second time. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the, the, the road for Twitter is only, is only beginning. Well, right. That's it's a crazy number, isn't it? One billion people have tried it and given up on it. It's it's just astounding that you have something that that gets people's attention to the tune of that number of people, but you're well. I mean, I have a hypothesis around you're so uh, unintuitive to use for someone who isn't really invested in figuring out how to make it work that you lose such a a large percentage of of those people. And and this is the thing that was the most damning about Costello's tenure there. Um, you know, when you, it's easy to forget when he came in, the company was it just had fundamental problems like keeping its service up, right? Uh, and and he, he absolutely helped settle things down, uh, get get it to be a functioning service, and carried it through to IPO, and deserves credit uh, for that. I mean, not many people bring a company through to an IPO to you know. A two billion dollar a year run rate, uh, and you know a thirty billion dollar company, or however much they're worth, they're worth now. So, of all, you know, if if you want to call Dick Costello a failure, if only we could, you know, all of us could fail so successfully, yeah, right? Um, and so I, I hope it's clear. I've, you know, I, 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 I talked to you before I wrote that article, and I anguished over writing it because I don't ever want to write that someone should lose their job or or anything on those lines. It was is just, you know. Yeah. Some, you care about the service. A lot of people I do. do, right? I, I do. And I, I think I, it seems what's interesting about the, the, the Sokka letter is, well, first off, he probably has a hint about what Twitter's working on. So hopefully they're working on all this stuff. But actually, you know, that, that gets me to, to the kind of the biggest condemnation, which is that for the good that Costello did do, this service just hasn't evolved really at all yeah. If, yeah. In, in years. It's, it's, it's for all intents and purposes exactly what it was seven eight years ago it was a i mean it was a great start but it's there was so much more that could have been done right and and nothing symbolized this more than the homepage. and yes they finally have an updated homepage, but it stayed that same homepage for years and years even though everyone knew they're having trouble signing up new users they having trouble retaining the new users like nothing changed there and i just I could not understand. I still can't understand why that wasn't being changed on a weekly, biweekly basis. Why wasn't there constant A/B testing going on? Like, why, why, where was what? What was going? What was happening? What What were they doing? And to me, that is the kind of the 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 condemnation of the of the last five six years is the product hasn't gone anywhere, and there's been no evidence that there's been any sort of sense of urgency around, around fixing what has, it's been clear has been a problem for several years now. Um, so. Well, someone's, someone's inheriting quite a challenge. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the big question. We're talking about what Twitter should do next, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, at broad strokes, I think the, you know, I, I think there was an idealized potential for Twitter. Um, 
I guess the question is if it's still even possible to be like Twitter had the potential to be like a communications protocol for the internet and but a protocol that was owned by a private company. Like that's something that's never really happened before, right? Yeah. Email is is an open standard. Like all these other standards are no one owns them. And so we never really got a chance to see what happens when you know, probably the closest company is Google is, is a you well not just Gmail, but but search. Right. Search is a core is a core piece of the internet mm. and what it means to use the internet. And as you might imagine, owning that turned out to be phenomenally valuable, valuable you know, to the mar- to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap. And, you know, I think Twitter, it would have been a narrow road, a hard one to accomplish. I know there's lots of people that think it would was never doable. I just, you know, but man, to have... Twitter be a protocol for for a whole range of services built by third party developers and ideally monetized, you know, via like there should have been an ad network that sat on top of that. Mm. Um, but I mean, and I, look that, at all the messaging apps that have sprung up like over the past five, six, seven, eight years, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, the the what's I mean, ironically, uh, or ironically, or coincidentally, I guess coincidentally is probably the better word. Uh, Twitter. Today also announced the messaging app will have <laughs> unlimited, unlimited or not unlimited, like ten thousand words or something, and and some. <laughs> it's funny. It, it actually it gets to it gets to the where I think Twitter itself tripped up. You see it on Twitter, people complaining about this, and like oh, I don't want the, the long messages are for email. Like no that mindset to say that long messages are for email and like Twitter should be short messages itself betrays a lack of understanding of what makes Twitter valuable. And, and what makes Twitter valuable is not 140 characters. One for one for characters helped develop a graph, an interest graph. And uh, uh, that you're, I'm connected to people on Twitter that I'm not connected to anywhere else. Mm. And, uh, and the problem is for messaging, for example, because Direct messages were so limited. I have tons of people, mostly in iMessage, but also on Skype and other chat apps that I'm connected to because we had to take it off of Twitter, mm. right? And and so now there's all this interaction and reasons to like you. We saw uh, Mary Meeker in her like state of the internet or whatever deck had a had a slide talking about how messaging apps dominate when it comes to frequency of interaction and and time spent in app. And like like six of the top ten most used apps are messaging apps on a daily basis, and they're opened like thirty times a day, right? You, it, it seems to me, if you want to build an effective advertising platform, having something that someone opens thirty times a day is a pretty good way to start. And Twitter could have had that, and they didn't. Like, I they just never d- developed that. In fact, they tried to kill direct yeah. messages a, a few years ago, and and but. And so great, I'm glad they're fixing it now. And people are saying, "Oh, see all these changes that are coming. He deserved more time." At some, like, I'm glad changes are happening, but like, you can't just ignore the five years that nothing seemed to happen. Yeah, and I mean, at this point, they're just playing catch up. Well, that's great. You have you have a messaging a character limit that's now equivalent to what everyone else has had. But every, all the users are everywhere else. Like, what are you going to add on top of it to, to bring people back that's going to make it so compelling that people are actually going to use it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think probably the, the path forward for Twitter is, uh, is frankly, a lot of what, what, what as I mentioned, what, what Chris Sacker wrote. And that is to break out a lot of the functions of Twitter into kind of their own apps, their own, their own functionality. Um, you know, uh, we've talked about Nuzzle previously, the, yeah. uh, you know, basically a new service that sits on top of Twitter, sits on top of your interest graph. Um, that, something like that's compelling. Having that for sports, having that for live events, like today, you know, the NBA Finals are on tonight, as, as you know, um, and as you, <laughs> as, as you studiously watch. Uh, like, there should be a good way to dip into that and experience that without having to like pollute your timeline forever and ever. Mm. And 
Um, and I think there needs to be some aspect of like Twitter needs to, there needs to be a, a curation aspect to this. And it cuts in two directions. One, these kind of unique channels, they need to not be just like the NBA Twitter channel or the Golden State Warriors Twitter channel. Like, where's the like the funny dude with like 10,000 followers that makes really, you know, snarky comments about the game, but they're, they're insightful and funny. Like, why aren't, why, how do you find those people that, or the guy that, that immediately tweets like replays and points out, you know, little defensive adjustments that have been made like that sort of stuff. How do you find that if you're a casual observer? Um, it, there's no obvious easy way to do that at all uh, right now for, for a new user. And that's the sort of stuff that's when I mean, people talk about all the time. Oh, Twitter has so much potential. Like that's the potential. It's, it, it's funny. It, it's the potential is so obvious because all of us who are power users and curated it have discovered it. Mm. And I absolutely recognize getting from here to there is, is massively difficult. Like how do you get new users to find that, you know, cause people don't want to put in all that work and you can't expect them to put in all that work. Um, but again, I, I think this is the damning thing is there just haven't, there just hasn't been any attempt in that direction. Yeah. Um, like better to fail yeah. actively than to just maintain the status quo indefinitely. Yeah, and that's, totally. that's, that's, that's the core of my frustration with the company. I, I, I agree. And there are so many interesting third party, uh, third party applications that folks have managed to build on top of it that just uh, kind of every now and then remind you of the potential, whether it's, whether it's Periscope or, or um, nuzzle, like you see these things where it's like, yes. And I, I actually wonder whether it's it's one company that's that would be able to come up with all these ideas and if they could, again, like, I mean, we're harking back to the previous conversation, but if they could find some way of unleashing the developer community to start to, to, start to experiment with these things on top, uh, of of the pro- starting to treat it more like a protocol. That's that's the way to do it. But whether you can get those you, developers to come back, yeah. I mean, I think you potentially could. The problem is, is is that's a much longer route, and the monetization route is more difficult. I think there is a way to do it again, where you're you're not just a protocol, but also an ad like mm. the best ad network um, for all these third party apps and services, and arguably new sites, and and you know, but. Like, is there time to do that? Is there going to be the the latitude, particularly from Wall Street, to allow that to happen? And probably the only way that there will be is if the next CEO is has so much respect and, you know, all CEOs get a honeymoon, but Twitter's next CEO really needs a really long honeymoon, yeah. which means they need a ton of respect from Wall Street. They There needs to be a vision for the service. Like, I mean, without vision, the people perish, you know, <laughs> to, to get biblical about it. And without vision, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter is perishing. And, and you need someone that can, that has that product vision, someone who can, who has credibility with Wall Street and you need someone who's willing, who has all these qualities and is willing to take this job that frankly uh, is an incredibly challenging one and in all likelihood will end in and in failure. I mean, the company, like, how is the company going to live up to its valuation? Um, I think it's possible. I think it could even exceed its valuation. It's possible, but unlikely, especially given that given that obstacle of all the abandoned users. Yeah, it's one of these funny, funny fallacies in human nature where if, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to live up to their valuation if they keep doing what they're doing. But, but the, the very nature of trying something different is to acknowledge that what they're doing right now isn't going to work. And that can leave you in a rather uncomfortable place, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 like yeah, it's 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 tough. Um, so I mean, cert- obviously, I think we've been clear uh, through several podcasts that we are both you know massive fans and in, in cheering for the service. And um, yeah, and uh, it's interesting. So Jack Dorsey is going to be the interim CEO, uh, and in you know there's there's a narrative around that where um, 
the a founder comes back uh you know provides the vision pulls it back through obviously that's the steve jobs narrative um jack dorsey is uh <laughs> a little notorious for of fashioning himself as as a as a modern steve jobs you, one has to think the thought has occurred to him uh that said part of the problem with twitter was the founding of twitter was just such a mess and uh i don't know that any of the founders uh in particular in particular jack who you know kind of built this mythos about him and his role in it that a lot of people dispute that were there mm-hmm. um i i don't know uh, it's and it's kind of weird that he's doing this when he's the ceo of square yeah. uh like if i'm a square investor i'm i'm can't be very happy about this and frankly it raises question in my mind about square uh like why why does he feel that he has the time to do this is it that squares <laughs> doesn't yeah. doesn't need his time either and the only interpretation why they wouldn't need his time is because they're not doing <laughs> as fantastically as it might be well um, well i don't know or, or the uh, the old i mean to to be fair the alternative hypothesis is that it's going so well and he's like established a solid leadership around him uh leadership team around him to such a point that him taking some time away from it um is not going to actually hurt things but yeah there's not much evidence that's the case though. yeah it's i mean and and it's not like this is if we're if we're doing the true comparison it's not like this is pixar where there's a massive incubation time on a creative project that doesn't necessarily need lots of input from like the business guy who's sitting up the top, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that's funny. That is another comparison that Steve Jobs was dual, kind of a dual CEO. Mm. Um, it's funny. You just at times you sometimes forget Steve Jobs and Pixar. Like it's crazy. It's it's just amazing what that guy accomplished. Y- yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, Yes, it truly is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna personally uh, not follow Jack's lead and pretend that I'm like him because that guy was that guy was crazy, um, crazy in a positive way. Um, so yeah, I guess the the, it, the net of it is is um, I think this was necessary, but it's certainly not sufficient for what Twitter needs. And frankly, they 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 have a long they have a long way to go. I'm cheering for them. Um, cheering for whoever's next. I hope that it. it yeah, it, I loved our suggestion. I think we we had a few suggestions last time. We talked about Ev coming back, but I think that there's a lot of the similar problems there to mm. to 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 Jack coming back. We talked about Cheryl Sandberg. Obviously, um, her life circumstances have yeah. um, very tragically changed dramatically um, since we since we talked about that, um, which probably you know makes that makes that answer. I, it was probably an answer anyway. Um, I, the problem is is like who would want this job, like. It's one of those. If you succeed, like it's amazing, and you can you really can change the world because Twitter has that potential. Right. And if you make it into what it could be, but at the same time, you're it's man, it's 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 going to be a tough slog. Well, it's true. I, it totally is. And I mean, I think the one thing they have going for them is there's so much fertile ground around. I mean, your biblical reference, like the vision for what that service could be is something that that particularly you, you get. Um, there, are, there are a lot of technical people out there who I observe are quite like they're, they're pure, almost ideological in their beliefs. And uh, there's something about the, the Twitter service that that I think could really appeal to some of those people. And that could be a basis on which to build it back up. Um, but again, you're right. It's going to be a slog. Yeah. Uh, they, interestingly, on the uh, the kind of press call or the in, investor call that they had today, they were asked, like, will you be acquired? And they're like, oh, we have no plans to be acquired. They're like, but they kind of like, if we, you know, of course, if there's a good offer, we'd, we'd have to listen to it. It, it, was, it seemed to be much more uh, amenable to an acquisition than I've ever heard from Twitter's leadership previously. Um, and frankly, and, you know, speaking of, of Chris Saka, who, who remains the largest shareholder in Twitter, uh, the day that he wrote that post on CNBC said, Oh, Google would be a great company to purchase Twitter. I mean, he hasn't been exactly shy about this. The the best thing about the whole, the best thing about the whole Chris Saka writing a letter about, uh, what, what Twitter should do 
was um, the tech meme headline. So tech meme, you know, the the, the mm. news aggregator, which is invaluable, invaluable for me. Um, but the day he the day he wrote that, did you see the headline? I did not. So they'll they'll rewrite headlines, um, especially like for blog posts where they're often kind of abstract headlines. And their goal is to just like make clear what the article is about, and so you can decide whether to click or not. <laughs> and so this is their this is their rewrite rewrite. I'm going to quote it. Chris Saka offers eight thousand five hundred words of criticism and advice for Twitter, comma says he's not an activist investor. <laughs> There you go. That's really that's that's it, boiled it down right there. That's what he. That's what he said. It. He offered lots of advice and made clear he was not an activist investor. <laughs> but the, um, you don't write an eight thousand five hundred word blog post about what a company should do when you're the lead investor and and get away with calling yourself not an activist investor. Right. Uh, yeah. He he probably earned a little bit of that. <laughs> oh, it was so classic though. Like it was. It was. I mean, it was one hundred percent truthful headline that that conveyed the news and conveyed a super sharp biting opinion <laughs> this is brilliant yeah well i don't know good luck to them i want them to yeah we both want them to do well yeah yeah for sure so um speaking of uh ad networks and advertising um you and the segways you are on fire even tired even like r- relying on the coffee yeah, uh, but you you got to stop calling them out. I, you, you make them lose their luster in China. We talked about this last week. Sorry, I can't resist. Uh, <laughs> um, what did you see? Well, we can, we'll start with a, a small thing. Did you see that Apple is has put in basically hooks for for ad blockers into iOS nine? Man, I I I must confess as as someone who uses them, I wasn't disappointed about this. I was actually it was. Um, I was actually wondering whether they were so I actually thought about this at first from the perspective of Safari and whether this wasn't um an exa- this wasn't the way that Apple was going to try to get the Safari extensions on the desktop to actually come to life by by creating the same um Safari extensions uh on on the mobile device because you know like Chrome gets everything because everyone uses Chrome, no one uses Safari, so there aren't so many Safari extensions. But that's probably not really true on the mobile device. And I actually thought at first this was a way of Apple leveraging that market share to bring it to get more extensions onto Safari in general. And then I I read more about it. It's like wow, they're they're really just going after. They're really it it at least at red like they're really just going after ads. Yeah, I mean, uh, people are going to get mad at you for saying no one uses Safari. Um, but on the desktop, relative to all browsers in existence, you're, you're right. Um, sorry, Safari users. Uh, the Yeah, it, it, well, the thing, the thing with what's interesting about this is a few things. So one, obviously, um, ad blockers haven't been possible. On, they've been possible on mobile, but they've been possible in that you have to like build your own browser. Right. Uh, that 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 blocks ads, um, which AdBlock AdBlock Plus has done on for Android. Uh, if you wanted to do it on iOS, there are there are also apps on iOS, web browser apps on iOS that block to some to some extent uh, ads, but they're they're thir- they're using web views. Um, this is like in the big enchilada as far as everyone uses. But on the desktop to install an extension, you need to know to go to the extension library. You have to download it. And you have to double click something, and it's not. What makes it different on mobile is one, not just that way more people use Safari on mobile, but two, it's something you download from the App Store. And we certainly have plenty of evidence today to know that having software available via the App Store is far more compelling and far more likely to be installed and all those sorts of things than anything on the desktop. And so, for one, that's very interesting. Uh, for two, Apple, what I'm really interested to see is like, does Apple end up promoting these sort of things, right? Like, because they they have levers to, oh, we're not building an ad blocker, but making it so that a lot of people are exposed to the idea of ad blocking um, beyond just the geeks that that know about it and can go out and get an extension and install it, like the case is today. It's, yeah. I mean, so I've used... There are there are a couple of instances where this idea of having extensions on a on a mobile browser would have 
is just as appealing as having it on the desktop. I use one password and so that that's an example of like actually I sometimes use the browser in one password because it's so convenient in terms of having the ability to fill in passwords. The fact that they're starting to bring this idea of extensions to the mobile the um the 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 mobile side of things is I think fantastic. But yeah, there there are broader implications here. It it was interesting um to me in light of Tim Cook's speech on privacy and then you know, but but a few days later, he, here comes the infrastructure to enable ad blocking and increase privacy on on iOS devices. Totally, it, it's it's kind of hard to not draw a line um, between all this all this stuff that that seems to be happening all at once. And the other thing, the other change um, in iOS nine is previously you had Safari and then you also had a web a web view component that you could put in apps. The problem was that was its own separate thing, right? So if you that's why you could be logged into say for me I spread New York Times. You could be logged in the New York Times or Financial Times or whatever in Safari, but then if you opened a link in Twitter, you'd have to log in again because it would it was a separate web view with its own cookies its own cookie stash and all that those sorts of things. In iOS nine uh, developers can now implant a new. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's basically a. It's a basically Safari itself. So now that web view is 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 Safari. It shares the same cookie store. So if you're logged in in one place, you're logged in, in the other. Or if you have an ad blocker extension uh, in one place, you have an ad blocker extension elsewhere as well. And that's really important because um, I just know. I mean, just to look at my own stats, uh, uh, I have around the same number of visitors from regular Safari as I do from Google Analytics registers as in-app Safari, which is these web views that are mostly within Twitter clients, in my case, mm. where people are reading are reading the articles. And now what's installed in one will, will um, once it's you know put in by developers, will be shared in all of them. So... So it really is going after, ad, like the the possibility is it goes after ads everywhere. It's I mean not I mean I think your site is probably and maybe maybe with Facebook it's not true. I don't know exactly the mechanics of the Facebook ad and how it does web browsing, but I would assume your site is anomalous in that it gets so much traffic from Twitter um, or from a third party app, right? No, I no not at all because a lot of, uh, no because it's the Facebook web view that's the key one. Well, people are opening links in Facebook, and that's, and that's right. Right. I, I the thing I'm not sure about is I'm I, I believe. Um, I, I'm sorry. I should have checked this. It's been a, been a busy week. I'm able to dive too deep into it. I believe that Facebook would have to implement the Safari web view as opposed to like just the plain web view that they have now. Um, wait, but I think they would do that. Um, well, because maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, because yeah, that would encourage publishers, publishers to put stuff on stuff on their on Facebook itself because ads that a third party would get blocked, but ads inside of Facebook would be native and wouldn't. Yeah. I'm not sure Facebook's thinking about that angle. Um, the question is, is it just a better experience to have the Safari web view as opposed to the regular web view? But the point being the viewing things in a web view is I think a very common behavior. A lot of traffic comes, comes that mm. way um, for a lot of publishers. Um, and oh, the other thing is Apple, you know, Yes, this this hurts the advertiser and advertising networks, um, but the it hurt, most of all hurts Google. hurts publisher. No, most of all hurts publishers because we are. I mean, we already had this conversation. I mean, the the advertising network will just simply not pay out, right? And yes, they're not making money, but they'll make money in other ads, other places. There's no shortage of places to place ads. Uh, the publishers, though, that end up re- showing their content with and not getting monetized for it, they're now not going to be hurt just by geeks on the desktop who know how to install an extension. They're also going to be hurt by people on mobile who have a far easier and far more discoverable way to to be like the geeks on the desktop. And uh, if you want to talk about a third shoe dropping, um, Apple's a multi-legged beast, uh, Apple has released this news app yeah. that, uh, oh, publishers, why don't you put your news here and monetize against iAd? Ignore the fact that we have really low CPMs because we don't have you know nearly as effective tracking, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but that's a benefit, privacy. Um, I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a what's this deal for publishers is like Apple's making them a deal that they can't they can't. Uh, what's the phrasing? Yeah. 
That's interesting. Uh, is there a little bit of um hmm. is there a little bit of uh uh hypocrisy with all the privacy and the ability to target and yet Apple probably saying to publishers we have all this data on users based on their Apple ID, we can help sell you ads like does that not come across as a little bit hypocritical to you? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, it does to me. Uh, it, it does to me as well. Um, but Apple is okay because uh, they say it's okay and it's not part of their business model. So that, that should be good enough for you. I, I, I feel like there's a snide jab in there somewhere, Ben. Uh, here it is from, from the iAd monetization page from Apple's developer site. Targeting. When monetizing with iAd, you'll have access to iAd segmentation capabilities so your advertisers can reach just the right audience within your content. iAd targeting is accurate and scalable and based on registration data from hundreds of millions of validated Apple users. Um, I mean, it, it's, I, I'm sure if I, so if we were to go back and load up that Tim Cook speech and, and uh, <laughs> pick a choice paragraph from what he said about how you know people don't like the idea of giving trusting these companies with their their data only to have it sold off to advertisers and then within a week have uh, that announced as a main leg of a well of of iOS going forward and and that little pitch that you just described right there as uh as the pitch <laughs> as registration the, data from hundreds of millions of validated Apple users. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, like you can't. I I, I personally appreciate the um I appreciate possibly. I mean, we we disagreed about the rhetoric on the privacy, but I I and a number of folks that have written in who've have made cases one way or another, like when when devices start turning up in your home. Or when you start tracking health data, like the idea that that is walled off from advertisers is something that people attribute to a good customer experience. And to to make that case so publicly and then within a week start to, to, and it's probably buried, but nevertheless, to enable it seems to me to be quite hypocritical. Yeah, well, I'd say I'd say two things. I th- I'd say one, uh, people will say Apple's not selling your data; they're just using the data to display ads. But that's that's that the, was that's my the same point for Facebook and Google. That's what right? Google and Facebook do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a point that I made, I I wrote about this as well, not just the podcast, but a point I made in a write up that I forgot to make in the podcast is, of course, Apple or Google and Facebook don't sell your data. It's the fact they have exclusive data that makes them valuable. Right, it's for Facebook and Google to sell your data to to put like like these other like loyalty card networks and stuff sell your data would be value destructive. Well, it would be to yeah. make their companies less valuable. And interestingly, interestingly, for for Apple to sell your data would arguably make the company worth more. I mean, the the point being like the, this business model bit cuts both ways. The fact that Facebook and Google make money by selling advertising placements, they don't sell da- data. They sell the the opportunity to advertise against a certain demographic that you want to reach. You as an advertiser don't know the identity at all of who you're reaching. But their ability to do that is what makes them valuable as companies, which if you believe in incentives and business models, like means Facebook and Google are the least likely to sell your data. Well, I, given their business model, I, mean, I, I I agree with that, and I think that's the present state of being. I think uh, Facebook more so than Google has a historical issue where people would um, uh, people would set up apps or or link things to their Facebook account, and any anything that got linked, those those app creators or whatever, would get to download a, a profile of you and who you were and who your friends were and all this incredible data. And I, I think that's in part what what has conflated this in people's minds. Now, my understanding is that that's not what Facebook allows um, third parties to do anymore. But I remember reading it was in the New York Times or USA Today or something like that. How how there are all these copies of your Facebook profile just floating around. And who knows what those people are doing with it? No, totally. And, and I think the other thing to say in defense of Apple in this case is um, Apple is in other more controlled rhetoric as opposed to Cook's speech last week. 
uh, is making clear that it's things like your usage data and places you visit and that that's not going to be a part of this data set because they do say on here like your registration data which presumably is more about like your location your sex uh your your age maybe but not like this websites you're visiting like presume presumably that is what is not involved the presumably though is important because there is a degree of you're just trusting one you're just trusting apple uh that right. it's going to be limited which I mean, I don't understand. I guess I don't, I don't know. If you're trust some companies, not trust others. At the end of the day, they're all public companies that that are making want to make a lot of money. Um, but two, the other thing is, frankly, without that data, the the advertising is worth a lot less. Yeah, and and I ads traditionally have not, from a CPM basis, have not been worth very much, and. Man, it's kind of a rough deal for these publishers. Basically, Apple's telling them, um, "We're uh, we're 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 not building an ad blocker. We're just making it possible for people to choose a better user experience." That oh, by the way, might screw you. But hey, you can come over here and make some money. Yeah, and and by the way, the money you're probably going to make is less because the demographic information we're going to provide to advertisers is much more similar to what it was in the old world of print than in the new world of this detailed, granular, individual user level data that. Places like Facebook and Google have. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, there's no questioning the fact that uh, whether it be dealing with developers, whether it be dealing with 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 publishers now, whether it be dealing with with any third party, uh, Apple has never shown itself to be particularly concerned with anyone's business model except their own. <laughs> um, and I think that's it's safe to say that that's that's the case here. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment of it. Um, so I, you, I, I, so I obviously haven't thought about this quite as much as you have, and I want to bring up the fact that I thought this might actually cause damage to Google, but your reaction is no. The no, it, it absolutely could cause damage to Google. I mean, Google is the biggest display or ad network of them all, and you know, you, they uh, obviously they 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 will always make money through search ads. Mm-hmm. You know, the, an extension is not going to block those, but. Their their double click business, their ad display business, uh, will be hurt directly by by ad blockers, and their search business will be hurt indirectly because all those display ads are collecting data on you, right? Um, and so that aspect, which people I'm sure are happy about, that their data is not going to be collected, but that means you're going to have less targeted search results, less targeted search ads, uh, which is Google's real real bread and butter. So no, absolutely, this this is this will hurt Google and. I, I that that's kind of the big picture context with this that is interesting. Like it feels like Apple is straight up attacking Google. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And and why are they doing that? Like it, it's I it's kind of feels like they're like they view as we've talked about. It's very easy to imagine here. You know, I mean, the Apple executives are very smart. They understand this stuff way better than you or I. Do they, they live and breathe it? They're paid a lot of money to make sure they really know their stuff, and it's sure easy to imagine a scenario where they are very much scared of Google now and what happens when, like, the notifications you watch. What happens if there could be real intelligence governing those and showing you what you need to show and what you don't need to show? And maybe there's an aspect of yes, we on our side need to get, need to get better, but we also need to hurt the alternative as in in whatever way possible. I don't. Maybe it's a little no, Machiavellian, but, but maybe, but or maybe not. Like I, I mean, I wonder. I, I didn't have a chance to watch the keynote, but I got a sense of what was announced. And I, on some level, I wonder whether this isn't it, it, viewed through the lens of a defensive strategy against the cloud. I, I like, and when I say the cloud, all the cloud players. Like maybe, maybe the beast, the beast in Cupertino is starting to wake up to the threat that this really poses. I mean, maybe um, you know they they told the story about we're going to do this proactive stuff. We're going to look at your you know we're going to look at your data and know what's going on, but it's going to be on device. We're not going to send it to the cloud. Um, that's really and, interesting because that that is like intelligence with privacy. That's the that's the model for how that happens, right? Right, but I, I mean, it, do you believe it I, can be I, as intelligent? No, I don't. Right. Like, I don't think a processor that fits on your phone with long battery life can come close to 
the power of a you know a massive cloud operation working not just on one data set but a bunch of data sets all together and extracting multiple you know insights across that i mean i no I a agree. lot of people want to believe up on this i i just <laughs> I, I i i don't buy it um and I, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I'm uh, again. I mean, obviously, Cook has ramped up the rhetoric. It's going to be interesting if they act, actually try to do more public marketing, more PR around this the privacy stuff. Like, are they really going to try to make it into a winning issue? Um, it's 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 interesting. It's going to be super fascinating to watch over the, over the next you know six twelve months. It, it is. I mean, yeah. I I, I agree. I agree. So. Um, well, I'm sorry you haven't, you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It, I mean, you it, do you have a day job? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, in fact, Ben, I, I do have a day job. Um, I, I do indeed. So, yes, that means that sometimes I can't watch quite as many of these things as I would like. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought the first part of it was really good. Like, I was, I mean, all this stuff that we talked about was in it, but it was it was interesting. There were it was. It was tight. It was, you know, very um, had a lot of momentum, a lot of clarity. I think, um, and it was, it was, uh, as I wrote about this week, it, it was the best part of Apple. And the best part of Apple isn't the new product introductions. Like if you look back over the last thirty-five years, they don't happen that often. Mm. Uh, what makes Apple great is when they introduce a new product. They introduce this kind of minimum viable product from a feature perspective. That is, from a user experience perspective, as perfect as they can make it, mm. and and they've traditionally sacrificed features to make sure that it's a great experience, mm. even if it's a limited experience. Knowing that this is the great thing about software in general is that the experience, like the features, will come. You can add those, and and the first part of the keynote you saw this in in all their different products like just iterative changes and yes iterative changes are boring quote unquote but they're powerful and they're powerful in a in a compounding interest sort of way mm. and and i thought the first part of the keynote really exemplified that and um you know you think about your smartwatch like or an apple watch i can say yours since you now have one <laughs> um you can tell us your thoughts uh in, in, in um but the, the what's cool about a smartwatch is people complain, oh, it's going to be obsolete. Well, another way to look at that bit is my smartwatch is now, or at least once watchOS 2 comes out, it's now a better product than it was the day I bought it. Right. Like, you can't say that about, about a, a traditional watch. No, I'm, I'm for better or for worse. <laughs> that is right, exactly, exactly. No, you can flip it in either direction. Um. The, the the interesting part to me was though uh, that normally when they get so I'm 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 skipping ahead I'm fast forwarding past the part that they do well to the part where they didn't do well and it's it's normally the case that when it's historically been the case that when they've introduced things like this it's been with a very clear sense of purpose and like the 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 new music service it just I, I don't know but i again i haven't seen it by all accounts the presentation went entirely off the rails and this is new service i mean the last one's more concerning because it was it was traditional apple bread and butter which is the watch but this is new service number 2 now where there's been just like what's going on with the delivery of of the uh, of this new product into the market or not the delivery the delivery of the message the reason why like they seem to have jumbled it twice in a row now yeah and i mean just to step back to the watch i think uh, in some respects, our concerns were correct, and your ongoing skepticism was correct, and particularly around like third-party apps, right? Like the the third-party app situation on the watches is bad. Like their the performance stinks. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I think you've had a chance to experience it now. And the reality is, all the good parts of the watch that make it compelling today, like the complications, the the message notifications, things like that, all that none of those depend on third-party apps. Like that could have they could have delivered. Again, that minimum viable product with the superior experience. Right. Instead, the Watch 1.0 was more than a minimum viable product mm -hmm. because it also had apps. But that trade-off was the experience wasn't as 
Good. perfect as right. as it could have been. And I don't know, I like just felt like that would have been better overall. I have developers build apps for watches they already have. They know how they work, how how they should build them. The performance is good from day one. When they're not there, would the Apple get criticized for sure? But they get criticized from a can you believe it's not here yet? Yeah, give which, it to which, us. Give it to us. Like, which is which is a much better problem than oh, like we built it and this is kind of shitty. Not just that, but what clarity that would have done for Apple's messaging. Right. Right. When you take away the apps, there's no longer any confusion that this is an iPhone for your wrist because it quite obviously isn't. And then it brings forward the it's a watch that does more. Yeah. Like, which which to me is the as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's the compelling message. Mm. Like. Why do we wear a watch anyway for the people who do? And why did everyone used to wear watches? Because it was nice to have the time on your wrist. Well, isn't it nice to have the time plus a couple other things on your wrist? And a couple of other things done really, really, really well. Right. Um, yeah. So the music thing, um, you, uh, you should go watch it. I mean, it was a bit of a train wreck. Um, <laughs> when do you ever talk about Apple stuff being a train wreck? This is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the, well, here's the, here's my big picture question about the music thing, and and I I talked about this a little bit. I'm not sure it was as clear as it could have been in my article. Um, so the issue, the challenge with 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 music is just for, Apple's doing this stuff. They're doing this radio station. They're doing they're doing uh, this streaming service. You have to pay for it for the streaming service. Other aspects of it are free. It, it was not clear in the keynote which were free and which weren't. Mm. Um, but you have to the core of the service. You have to pay nine ninety nine a month to to get streaming music. The challenge for that is um, the, the advantage for Apple is going to be the default app. It's going to be built in, which means that's a huge advantage. You can't overstate that advantage. The disadvantage is there's no free tier, and right now a lot of young people, in particular, use YouTube to listen to music, and Spotify has a free ad supported tier that they don't. Why don't they? They wanted to have one, but the label said no. The label said no because uh, they own all the back catalog, all the stuff that you need to do it. And and the contrast between today and the iTunes Music Store in, in 2002 is that back then the labels were more scared of piracy than they were, to, were, of, right. were of Apple. And piracy, the thing though is mobile killed piracy. Like the, the, the phone killed piracy because who wants to manage a bunch of files? Right? It, I mean, that's even more painful than going to YouTube and listening to some music. Um, and without that kind of threat, Apple didn't really have leverage with what basically is a cartel, for all intents and purposes. And if you carry that on, like, if, if Apple doesn't have any leverage, like, what's the significant contribution they can make to this area? Like, what value is it? And you you get this where Apple's doing music because we love music and we're we're the music company, and it's like yeah you were but now well I just my my make my big question about Apple Music is um, maybe it's the right thing to do. You can certainly make lots of arguments that music is a tentpole feature, it's a key thing of the platform, et cetera, et cetera. And I get that, I buy that. I'm curious. I'm just curious. Did was the discussion even had should we even be doing music at all anymore and and you say that's we're apple we do music but what makes apple so brilliant as a company historically is their willingness to challenge sacred cows Mm. you know to to really make sure that what we're doing is the right thing or should we kill it should we kill the should we kill the ipod mini should we launch the ipad even though it will cannibalize the mac should we watch an iPhone 6 Plus even though it cannibalizes the iPad? I mean, like, that's what makes the keeps the company fresh, keeps it vital. And maybe they did. Maybe they had this conversation. I hope for the company's sake that they did. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm just curious. I'm curious. I'm curious if they did. Did anyone? Did it ever occur to anyone that maybe we shouldn't even bother? The labels have been locked down. There's lots of alternatives that will be on our platform. Right, and, um, and what can we do to differentiate it other than force it down people's throats because we can make it the default option? Exactly, exactly. And if you think about it, there's this aspect of, it's so fascinating. I mean, Apple Apple has like the most powerful platform in the world, but they're, they just don't want to be a platform company. 
You know, like they they want to offer up the the thing and the and the, the whole experience and it's all in a box. It, it's like the the Mac back in the day with iLife and it's everything you need. And that was great then. Like Apple didn't. No one else was building for the Mac anyway, and Apple really resuscitated the entire business with iLife and it's everything you need when you when you buy the computer. But that's not the re, that's not the context in which iOS is operating now. Right. Everyone is going out of their way, including Google, including everyone, to be on iOS because that's where the most valuable customers are. And and does app? It's it's almost like Apple sees itself as this standalone deliver the whole widget sort of operator that they've used to be instead of the platform that they are. And the net result is you get you get these apps that are me too apps in some respects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was an article in, in a uh, good piece in, in Buzzfeed by uh, Charlie Warzel basically saying like everyone, like who doesn't have a bunch of Apple apps sitting in a folder because you can't delete them and, and you're using a third, a third party anyway. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm like that. It's interesting though. I mean, it shouldn't necessarily be a surprise. It's the, it's the it's built into the culture of the company, right? Like this is when they do their best when they have con- complete control of the widget and and the the I mean the, as as seems to have been a recurring theme over the past few weeks. Like what your strengths are also reflect what your weaknesses are, and that is once you've started to do well and people want to get on your platform, actually getting out of the way and letting other people do their thing can be the right thing to do. But it's not baked into the DNA of the company. No, absolutely. It's it's a it's a wonderful example of exactly exactly that point. You know, Apple from an on paper perspective would probably be best served to embrace their platform role and seek to enhance and massively expand the the pie for everyone, including developers, and not feel the need to keep it all for themselves. Mm-hmm. But that's just not the way. That, like that, it's and it's not. And so to say it isn't to condemn the company because culture is you, you it is what you are and it's just it's it's funny that all this stuff we can talk about other companies criticize for like Apple's not immune to that they they at the end of the day are a company made up of humans and humans operate in a certain way and follow cultural mores and norms that most don't even realize they're following and uh, and Every, we're all we're all human today. Apple is a company. They're doing well. They have a ton of margin for error. Like all this stuff we can say about Apple and things that are concerning and challenges and machine learning or or their their apps that that a lot of people don't use. None of that's going to show up in the financial results for years. Um, but it no company no company is is perfect either. Yeah. And we got a reminder of that this week, I guess. I mean, well, at least from the presentation. I, yeah. I mean, the, there is like some people are are saying someone in the in the forums put this forward. I think uh, um, you know that Apple's seeking to create like a new music label, like, and that's what the Connect stuff was about. Like, you can you could be on there, you can build up. You don't need need the music labels. You can connect with your fans. You can sell music, um, and that's what that's why Jimmy Iovine is there to to build this out. And I, I guess that's possible. Um, it, it's a plausible story. It fits with why they would want beats and why they would want Iveen and, and why they're building a radio station, for example, because radio has always produced hits or is always made artists. Um, but I guess my, my, my issue with that is that's one of those things. Yeah, I could see how that makes sense on paper, but does Apple have the, the cultural aptitude and skills to, to do that, to support artists, to make something of them. Um, again, that brings you back to how, how they treated developers, how they treated, treated publishers. I mean, yes, they've been good for them, but they've been good for them in a, as long as it's good for Apple sort of way. Um, and maybe, maybe it'll work. Maybe, maybe the labels are so crappy that anything Mm. different would be better. Um, but, well, but I don't know. I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm skeptical too. It, it, it. Hmm. I mean, it, and you, you underestimate the company at your peril. But it does feel a little bit like, okay, this has happened, and I can't see what's obviously great about it. So I'm going to, 
I'm going to back in a hypothesis that sounds really cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you you nail it though. I mean, there is an aspect of uh, you you underestimate the company at your peril for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a very it's interesting. The 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 there was nothing like that big in the WWC announcement, but it seemed like there was all actually a lot of like medium sized stuff that mm. was really interesting. Um, so yeah, it's, it, 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 it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't know. You've caught, you've <laughs> it's caught interesting. My, you've caught my disease, Ben. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. I've over indexed on interesting. You, you have, uh, it, yeah, you have. Hmm. All right. Well, I, uh, Per the along the examples, there being lots of news and and kind of a whirlwind of stuff. I think we had a whirlwind tour of it. Um, but man, I'm about to fall asleep sitting here. Yeah, and you have a daily update to write, so I should let you go. Okay, sounds good. Well, uh, this will yes. Why well, I, I was going to say this will be out late, but by the time you hear me say this will be out late, you have already gotten it. So I guess that was kind of pointless. Very good. Well, have a safe trip back. I will, and uh, it's good to see you in person. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye. See you, mate.